1: The Beckler and Shauna Podcast, your daily download of X929's ninety two X mornings with Beckler and Shauna.
0: Brought to you by Shane Holmes, offering affordable customization on your new home. It's Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I'm Beckler. I'm Shauna. What's new with you, Shauna? Uh, What's
1: going on in your life? Not too much.
0: Nothing big? Trying to get my
1: Halloween costume together.
0: Ah. Are you are you saying what it is, or are you mm. Is it a secret?
1: No, it's not a secret. I'll, I'll say it tomorrow, maybe. Kay. I'll
0: talk mm-hmm. about it tomorrow.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: We've got a really dumb Halloween costume idea this year. It was McKenna's idea. I won't say what it is yet. Um, <laughs> but everyone who we've told... It's a real eyebrow razor. Amazing. Yeah, but I think it's going to be fun. Okay, perfect. Uh, I'm also, I'm, I've mentioned I'm emceeing and officiating my friend's wedding this weekend. Right, so that's this to, weekend. Holy yeah. hell. So I'm trying to put the finishing touches on my speeches and stuff, because I, I have a little speech during the ceremony and then one during the reception as well. Right. So maybe i I might even get you to take a look at it, Shauna, and see if... Hell yeah. It's good to get a second set of eyes on that sort of thing, right? To see yep. if you think, like, these... These jokes and sentimental moments will land,
1: or will they be offensive? I didn't go anything to, uh,
0: with anything yeah, real yeah. offensive. That's fair. Um, <laughs> that's good. But yeah, I just also I went to I went to print it off on like little cards, like staples on some like nicer stock. Yep. And it printed out in just the tiniest little font, like font for ants. So I gotta get that fixed too. Oh, for, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, you're like you I'm not gonna, gonna be like able to re- squ- squint to get your own notes. Nope, you sure don't. Ah. Anyway, uh, today's podcast looks a little bit longer. It's because our conversation with Shane Wenzel, the CEO and president of Shane Homes, is in the middle of this. Chatted with Shane for about 15 minutes and got his take on the housing crisis and some of the trends that they're seeing in uh, in the building of houses, which we both found to be quite eye-opening. Definitely. Uh, we're also going to talk about the goat of trucks since it's drug-tober. Sure is. Another dad badge, another soup parody, a quick one. Sean is having some trouble at the airport lately, and a term that I've noticed a lot recently, or frequently, I should say. After you're out of context clip of the show,
1: they pat down my Goblin <laughs> Screamer, and everybody's watching <laughs> as they just pat her down there and double check that I'm. They give you a little pat, I'm, pat a little. They sure do. A The Beckler and Shana
0: Podcast. With the current situation in the Middle East, there's a phrase that I keep hearing amongst people talking about it and even in the news sometimes. Yeah. And that phrase is the Jewish community. And it's funny because you won't ever hear like, you know, if we're talking about people in Canada, Jewish Canadians, Jewish people, Israelis, if you're talking specifically about people over there. Yeah. um, The term Jewish. Jews? I don't know if you can say or not. I don't know if that's considered offensive.
1: I'm not sure, actually.
0: I've heard Jewish people use it amongst themselves, but I don't know if as a Gentile, if I'm allowed to use that. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, But it's always the Jewish community. And referring to something as the blank community is the modern way to most gently talk about a group of people, isn't it?
1: It's true. It seems less harsh in some way for it, some reason. Yeah. It's
0: the polite way of saying it. But
1: then even like the, the, the snowboard community, for example, is what they call on like all the forums and stuff. Yeah. Now. So eh, it's weird. <laughs> community is just a new nice word.
0: There were some, um, I don't know if you remember in the summer, there were texts that were posted between Jonah Hill and his ex-girlfriend, who's a pro surfer. And right, they kept referring yeah. to the surfing community, which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's a big deal. Funny. Or like they'll say, you know, he's a member of the LGBT community. Right. And I always think, but what if he's not? You're know, like, what if he's just a gay dude who lives out in the woods by himself and doesn't want any community?
1: Yeah, maybe he, he doesn't want-, want any friends at all. He doesn't <laughs> want to be associated with anybody else. He's just a solo man.
0: Community's actually what we're trying to get away with out here. Yeah. <laughs> get away from out here, right? Mm, yes. I mean, I get it, though. We want to be absolutely clear that we don't mean any harm. So we say community. Right. And I mean, I've heard, yeah, the fitness community. You said the snowboard community. Snowboard community. I wonder if that works for just about anything, though. Like, you and I are both members of the bum knee community, Shauna. We are. People who've bummed their knees. We
1: have bummed our knees hard.
0: Well, as a member of the bum knee community, can I just say that I take uh, sidewalk clearing very seriously in the winter?
1: Yep, yep. I take a, is there certain drugs to help with the bum knees. Yes, I can recommend them to you. Yeah.
0: Well, he's a member of the deadbeat dad community, of course, mm-hmm. so... As as a member of the huge piece of shit community. The
1: Beckler and Shauna podcast. I forgot to tell you about the strange issue that I've been having recently when going through security at the airport, Beckler. So every single time I go through that weird tube thing where you have to lift your hands and get scanned...
0: The backscatter machine. Is that what they call it?
1: I don't even know. Uh, But every time I go through that, I'm setting off the security alarm. The last four times I've walked through there, I've been flagged. And then they, every time, will ask me to take off a layer or readjust my outfit here or there. And then I go through again, and it still goes off. And the problem area? My sin cave. Every single time. I'm not... Like, I come out the other side and I look where the scanner has flagged the problem, and there is a square right in my shark bait hoo ha ha, right there in my old needle nose. And I'm like, what is going on in this region? And it's been four times in a row.
0: Like a heat map, and it's the heat just, map just, it's just right, red there, right there, right hey, in my hatchery.
1: Like, it's one of those, I was like, oh what's my. What's going on?
0: This is what's what going I do- on with your, uh, with your oyster ditch there, Sean? Well, this
1: is what I'm wondering. <laughs> uh, and we've talked about this before because this did happen once to me before, and it was. I I realized, because I was wearing underpants that had rhinestones on them. Mm. So the metal of those (laughs) underpants, obviously, it makes sense that that would set it off. But these last four times, I have... Check your panties. I've checked my panties, (laughs) and I'm not wearing the rhinestone panties. And I'm wearing nothing that has any sort of metal, and it is... It's still going (laughs) off.
0: Old contraband panties Jefferson over here? Old terrorist panties Jefferson?
1: Like, I... Every time, though, I have to go, and I have to... I have to get patted down, right? And they always ask, like, are you okay that we do this here? And they have to go, and they pat down my <laughs> goblin screamer, and everybody's watching <laughs> as they just pat her down there and double-check that I'm... They pat-pat, a little... Pat, I'm, pat a little they sure a little do. Yep, yep, just to make sure I'm not carrying a yeah. weapon in there, which that's I'm the, not, uh, but every time... And then after they pat me down, they're like, okay, you can go along, ma'am. But like what is no, going on down there?
0: That's a no-fly fur burger right there. Well, this you is... That, that denim bagel, what do you got in there? What do you have in there? Explosives in your denim bagel, Explosives ma'am? This is
1: it. Yeah. No, my little rotten is totally fine. I don't have anything in there, but this is what I'm wondering. Like, do I have to go to the doctor now and explain <laughs> this to them? But like, I've got a fire crotch issue going on every time I go through this damn security. There is something in there. Okay. We
0: caught her. The panty bomber, Shauna Jefferson oh brought her to justice. God. Finally, one of uh, our most wanted fugitives. <laughs>
1: Yep, she's got an issue with her hatchery. It seems to be flagged every time she goes through, but uh, it's fine. We'll let her go.
0: Give we'll us a let her go panties. on this Give time. Just check to, your one, more,
1: one more check your panties for good measure here, because that's what you need check to do. Check your panties. The Fettler and Shauna Podcast.
0: My son, Brigham, who's six, he said, will there be another soup parody on the podcast this week? Oh, and I said, cute. I think we could probably swing that. We totally could. We've got some more soup parody ideas in the tank. We sure do. This one is... Timely,
1: yeah, it's a festive one. Um, I don't know the other soup. Spooky, scary skeletons came on the other day.
0: Ah, it's like my favorite Halloween song.
1: It's funny because you introduced <laughs> me to that song. So it's hopefully, hopefully the kids appreciate this one.
0: Scary skeletons from chickens that you ate. Throw the bones into your pot, then heat it up and wait.
1: Sloopy scary skeletons make deadly broth tonight. Their spicy soup will shock your bowels and give your bum a fright. Oh! Ouch. My bum. Wow, ah, that's smart. Oh, that hurts my bum. i spicy. So spicy.
0: The Beckler and Shauna Podcast. Are you
1: the vacuumer of your household, Beckler?
0: Damn designated right. Designated vacu- Okay. Damn right I am.
1: Interesting. Because uh, my dad was the DV as well. The designated vacuumer, <laughs> as I like to call it. And it seems to be a dad thing. Dads always seem to take the reins of the vacuum, and I don't know why.
0: I think my dad is the vacuumer. At my parents' house okay. as well,
1: because I asked some friends this after thinking about it too, and I was like, "Is your dad the vacuumer?" And they were all said yes. I know anecdotal evidence, but they all said that their dad was the DV too.
0: I vacuum almost every night now because mm. we got one of those Dyson stick vacuums, oh, and yeah. it's so easy. Like after supper, part of my cleanup. Just buzz totally. around most of the main floor, right? Yeah. So it's uh, it's slick.
1: I was trying to think of as to why that would be. I was like, I wonder why dads take the reign of the vacuum, and then I got thinking, and I was like, is it because you can create your carpet? like you can the grass. You know what yeah. I mean? You can put the patterns in and you can neatly do it and it's it's kind of similar to mowing the lawn, right? Which I know a lot of dads take great pride in.
0: I've, been, I've made that observation before that vacuuming lines into the carpet is like mowing the grass of the inside.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Although I don't
0: take a ton of care with the lines that I lay down on the carpet.
1: I know it's not quite the same as, I think, the ownership you get over mowing the lawn, but I remember my dad was very particular, right? And it would be very nicely lined up, and you could see it. And that is, there is something very satisfying after you vacuum, and you can see the lines of the carpet For going sure. that certain way, right?
0: We only have carpet in one room of the house, mm-hmm. though, our room. The okay. rest is hardwood or tile. Yeah. So I just don't like... I don't like when you walk barefoot in your house and you can feel anything on the floor. That's fair, too. So if yeah. I'm going like, to like to feel clean and to go to sleep, to crawl into my bed, I need to know that the floors are clean. So. Yeah, if
1: you walk over something going to bed and you're like, oh, I don't feel clean anymore. Yeah. Like Cheerio smashes under your oh. foot. You're like, oh, no. So no. But yeah, dads seem to be the ones who are more particular about that and take the vacuum over. Very weird. Interesting. I'm wondering if this should be a dad badge
0: the DV badge a little
1: vacuum you get a little va- you get a little hoover little, <laughs> a little hoover a little hoover badge that you put on your your sash or
0: whatever we're doing here can it say DV on it yeah, too yeah it's got the a little DV. vacuum mm-hmm. I would proudly put that on my dad's sash I think my so dad
1: would as well there <laughs> it On the DV at our house <laughs> I'm Good the DV you. here
0: <laughs> it is trucktober it is trucktober blessed trucktober to you and yours and a happy trucktober to you as well what's the goat of trucks Shauna?
1: oh man <laughs> I don't what even know the, how you could start to narrow this down.
0: I know. It's very broad. And we'll keep this as wide open as you can imagine. So there are no wrong answers. Think outside the box if you want. Because yesterday in one of our conversations, the Ford Raptor came up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty sick truck. But right, I was is like, that what's, a truck? The, what's the goat, though? Like, what is. Wouldn't be that one. It's not common enough. No. What's, what is the goat of trucks?
1: I mean. The first F series truck, right? The F1, the very first
0: one. The that classic.
1: Is the best selling truck, isn't it, North America? Like the
0: Ford F 150? Yeah. yeah. I think it is. It's the best selling vehicle in North America, right. not just truck, but. So if you wanted
1: to go that way, I mean, that's dominant. one to toss into the mix there for sure. It's yeah. been a
0: good run for that truck.
1: Sure has been. What else would you put in there?
0: I was thinking about the Hummer because of its role as a military vehicle, mm. the Humvee. Yep. Very common military vehicle, but then it's also crossed over to civilian life. It's true. So that's fairly iconic.
1: I mean, I love the Sparwood world's largest truck, even though I know it's no longer the world's largest truck, but passing that thing every time makes me real happy.
0: Yeah, I'll never not take a look at that nope. thing when we're going by. It's awesome. I've stopped.
1: <laughs> like, I have to stop it at it almost every time because it excites me just as much every time yeah. I pass that truck.
0: You're like, yeah, there it is. Still there. there is still again. big. Still, still dominant, real big. Still
1: exciting to me. Yeah, you stand, and the wheel itself is way taller than you're. Like, oh, it's a big truck. That's
0: a big. It's old a local truck. truck, so
1: I put that up in my books quite a bit because of that too.
0: Around here, that would be a It'll uh, be a big in the one. conversation for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, this is real broad, but what about just the semi? Think of its importance. I like did
1: think w- of the semi. Yeah,
0: like without the semi, as we were reminded last summer, the uh, the world shuts down. It's right? true. So yeah. Um,
1: man, the semi, semi might be, I, I was thinking like, I mean, you could toss, are we doing fictional? Like Optimus Prime is a pretty cool sure truck you if you want to toss them in, in pretty the Pretty cool mix semi too. right there. That's a pretty damn cool semi.
0: Again, yeah. in terms of just like an, being an icon, what about a fire truck? <sighs> That's one of the first things that a little kid learns. You're right. If there's a fire truck. You mm-hmm. know that before you, you know anything, right? Yeah so
1: it's true and they save lives as well they do that's a big deal They're
0: everywhere Mm -hmm. and they've we've had fire trucks for like a hundred years yep
1: yeah i mean the the trucks that are like the big ones like sparwood that are used in heavy pits and stuff Mm -hmm. like that those are so impressive too like just the amount that they can carry
0: yeah they're pretty incredible feats of engineering they really are like you said i'll never get i'll never get bored with it
1: no no, but that's, you're
0: right. Going back to basics, the fire truck. That's something that you, little kids love, and then it never really goes away. Big truck.
1: Big truck. Like, oh, big truck! Big truck right there. That's it. Well, I had I like I had one of those trucks, the big ones, the big the big trucks. Yeah, big I have truck. I had one of those that I used to carry sand in and stuff as a kid. Yeah. Those, man. Big truck. Big truck. <laughs> Woo!
0: Is the go-to truck.
1: It's big truck. The Beckler and Shana Podcast.
0: Joined in studio this morning by the CEO, President, and the Shane in Shane Homes, Shane Wenzel. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Have you ever been called the Shane before? That's a good one. The Shane.
2: I've been called lots of names before. (laughs) But you didn't name the company Shane Homes, if I... Remember correctly. No, you know what? The uh, The company was named after me by my father, Cal Wenzel. And uh, him and his business partner in 1979, they needed a name for the company. And he asked me, and of course, as a child, what would you say? Yep. Yes. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Was it a, a good answer in
0: retrospect?
2: It was a good answer yeah. in retrospect. And it's still surreal this many years later because we're in our 43rd year of business.
0: Wow. That's crazy.
2: I, I, well, I was looking on your website the other day and it says you built...
0: 13,000 homes or something? God, I think we're over 15 now. Holy man. Yeah, wow. This is, uh, this is a busy city. That's a lot of homes and a lot of time to figure out what works and what doesn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Well, it's great to finally meet you in person. Um, I should Full disclosure for anybody who doesn't know, but Chain uh, Holmes is a good advertising partner of X929, and you are the sponsor of both our show and our podcast, yep. though we've never met in person. No. Um, I followed you on Twitter for years when I was still using Twitter, and... <laughs> I you know I didn't always agree with what you were saying but you were always um very very open and very frank and I always
2: appreciate when people say what they mean so well, thank you for that. No and I uh, and I appreciate the fact that not everybody's going to agree with uh, with everyone else's opinion but you know how we respond that's what's important.
1: Well that's why it's nice to have you in right now because especially with what's going on with the affordability crisis in the city mm-hmm. we are like uh, Shane would probably have some good insights into this. Um, just a
2: few
0: thoughts. <laughs> just just a few thoughts. <laughs> So why don't we start right at the beginning. Can you walk us through the process of uh, basically of getting new houses built in a city like Calgary and what that looks like
2: on your end? It, well, it's uh, it's certainly a busier process now. Uh, I can speak to it because I've been doing this for about 33 years myself. But what it is today is, you know, you, you have a, a standard plan. You, you get a purchaser, uh, usually a presale. And they decide what they want to change in the home. So we design it up for them. We go through all the energy code planning for them and we apply for the permit. And then we get it out to the field and, uh, you know, start digging holes and start building the home. And that whole process from, uh, from start to finish uh, will usually take about nine months.
1: And even prior to that, where do you decide where you're going to put these communities? Like where do you decide what parcel of land you're going to use and be like, this would be good to build homes in?
2: Uh, well generally, that'll come back to uh, a separate developer uh, even though we do some development. but uh, if you look at some of the larger scales, some of the larger groups out there they uh, they'll go and they'll procure land at a uh, at a fee and uh, and they'll carry that for a number of years and they'll go through the entire process with the city of Calgary so they'll they'll go through a uh, growth management overlay process where you know they, uh, the city tries to understand where they can direct most of their their time and their effort for uh, for services. They'll take a look at the uh, the developer's plan and, uh, you know, there's a set of guidelines to follow. There's, there's density targets nowadays that uh, the people do have to follow. And that's usually around 14 units per acre, or, or as we like to say, you know, in simpler terms, you know, about 40% multifamily and about 60% single family in, uh, in a new subdivision. Interesting. And uh, that whole process could take anywhere from four to 10 years. So so the the developer you mentioned,
0: they work with the city, they get the infrastructure and the plan all laid out, and then you purchase lots from them?
2: Generally, yes.
0: Okay. When you see these numbers that are floating around, that Canada or Alberta needs X number of houses by, you know, this year to accommodate all the people who are moving here, Mm because I saw that something like 60 people are moving to Calgary every day or something. It's crazy. What
2: do you see as the biggest barrier to getting more houses built? Well, there's lots of barriers to it. I mean, one... uh you know, we we weren't built for this. Uh, if I go back in time, if I go back 30 years ago, we could build about 280,000 homes in Canada every year. Now that number is about 230,000. You know, so we're not going in the right direction there. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with uh, what I refer to as policy creep, you know, at every level of government. And that uh, that hasn't helped the process at all. I mean, when you lose 50,000 homes a year that you can't build compared to 30 years ago... This crisis was inevitable.
1: What do you do in your business to to help with that? What are you guys? how have you changed your practices as this has become such a big thing?
2: Well, you try and rattle the chains of government as much as you can and uh, and ask them, you know, if you're going to introduce a policy, at least get rid of one or two that you had previously, you know because the intent is to to build them more efficient and and, and more uh, more quickly but we're not doing that. We're, we're almost taking the opposite approach as we're still trying to build the better mousetrap. <laughs> and uh, you know, houses are highly, highly efficient now. And uh, the, the easiest way to explain that is you're one step away from having a fully engineered home, no matter where you're, uh, what we build.
0: I saw a video you posted on social media just the other day where you were talking, you know, people talk about, you know, houses aren't built like they, like they used to be built. And you had great insight on
2: that too. Thankfully they aren't, uh, you know, they are far more efficient uh, and then and, and, uh, right down from every, to every component in the home, you take a look at the windows, they have a uh, better R value, you can go from triple down to double pane. Uh, those 30 years ago used to be single pane windows. The uh, the insulation in the walls is uh, is a good factor, but uh, you know, we've sealed the houses in so tight now that uh, that you can retain heat a lot easier, you can retain the cool air a lot easier. Uh, you've increased the uh, the insulation in the attic uh i mean there's so many different components in a home that uh that make it far more efficient right down to the mechanical systems you know the uh the uh, the hvac systems in the home for example uh furnaces 30 years ago used to be about 67% efficient now they're about 95% efficient you know and that all adds up to the end user at the end of the day and you want them to uh you know to realize the savings but kind of like a car if you don't maintain it, then it doesn't work properly. And that can be part of the problem with, uh, with all this, uh, all this techni- technology rather and all this engineering going on with homes. So
0: just a moment ago, you mentioned policy creep. Um, if you were given ultimate power tomorrow and you could, you could make, say, two or three changes that would, that would get more houses built in this city immediately, what would those things be?
2: Uh, you know what? At the federal level, I would uh, do what they're already suggesting doing, which is getting rid of the GST on any uh, any social housing. But I think you've got to do that on uh, on housing specifically for first time home buyers, just to get people into the marketplace. At the uh, the provincial level, uh, you know we've got to eliminate a, a bit of the red tape process there. You know, there's a number of uh, number of policies that have come into play under what we call the uh, Municipal Government Act. That has limited, or at least helped the municipalities limit the amount of homes that they, uh, they're prepared to allow to be built. And I guess at the municipal level is, uh, you know, we need to drop the ideology. You know, anything that we do with, uh, with with new homes has to be market-driven. It can't be stuck in the ideology of we want everybody to live in the down- downtown core, rather, and uh, and build up as opposed to building out. I mean, the affordability uh, comes into play a lot better when you uh, when you start expanding out, but you do it with specific density targets. I've had that
0: argument with people before too, and I'm sure you see it on, on your end of the business. But I mean, for example, my family and I, we don't want to live in a condo downtown. Mm-hmm. We just don't. I got two young boys. Yeah. We want to live in the suburbs. And you can't, you can't force people to live where they don't want to live, right? I think that's kind of what you're saying. Like yes. it needs to be market driven. That is what the market is asking for. Mm-hmm.
2: When you look at some of the new Canadians moving into our city, uh, they come from a very, uh, you know, strong ethnic background, and they believe in everybody living in the same home together. And, uh, you know, one of our most popular models out in northeast Calgary, as an example, is a a five-bedroom, four-and-a-half-bath home. And that's because you generally have three, possibly four generations Living in the same home.
1: I was just going to say, what have you seen in changes, and what people are requesting, and mm-hmm. is it more multifamily homes? So obviously that, but what else? Is, are you seeing a lot of more roommates, or is everybody now looking for more bedrooms so that you can put more people in and make it more affordable? Or
2: you're actually seeing more basement developments or uh, legal secondary suites,
1: right? Is that one of the big customizations that people request? That is
2: one of the most popular ones right now, and largely because people can offset the cost on their mortgage. Makes perfect sense. That's really funny because I've noticed that even just clicking around real estate in the city
0: and in the Northeast, it it doesn't matter the value of the house; it probably has a basement suite. Yeah,
2: I've seen million-dollar homes up there with a legal suite. Ninety percent of the time, I would say there's a basement suite there. Wow. Yeah.
1: And I mean, again, that makes sense when it comes to affordable. So as a business, what else have you done to try and help with the affordability for people like with your practices and what you've, how you're trying to market things?
2: Well, you never want to cut on specifications, but I mean, you definitely want to know exactly what you're building. So you work hard on trying to find out what, what is necessary in the home and what is not necessary, which is difficult nowadays because everything appears to be necessary. (laughs) People want, you know, some of the finer features in their homes. Especially if you're building a new home, right? You're excited about it. You want it to be your home. But one thing that they don't want now, they don't want big backyards. What they want is a functional backyard. So they're spending a little more time developing their outdoor spaces. Mm. You know, and that's, that's become really important. So not that big, massive backyard you might have seen about 30 years ago. Walkouts aren't as popular as they used to be. Why do you think that is? Uh, Well, I think uh, there's a cost associated with it. Okay. To do a walkout basement is more expensive than just having a, a regular basement. Although, you know, we are putting on what we call a lot of stairwells to the basement.
1: Well, if you think about it, when you're trying to cut, if there's one thing in particular, right, that. That would probably be the first thing to yeah. go because you want, mm-hmm. you want the kitchen, you need the bathrooms, <laughs> you need the bedrooms, but yeah, maybe a bit of a smaller. And then there's lots of parks around too and stuff. So
2: Well, and that's, uh, I think, one of the unique things about suburbia now is that uh, you do have a lot of usable park space. And if you look at a lot of the new communities, they're, they're very well interconnected in the community. So you can take a linear park or you can take a, uh, you know, a wider sidewalk to that, uh, that big central park. That's interesting. So I, the neighborhood I live in
0: was built in, well, my house was 99. Mm-hmm. And it's that must have been the height of like car-centric culture in Calgary because yes. you can't walk anywhere in my neighborhood. And then I go to a neighborhood like Mahogany and mm-hmm. it feels like everything is walkable. And you're seeing more and more of that in the
2: newer neighborhoods? That is, yeah, that is a planning principle that we, uh, we all subscribe to. You know, we do want to see the density uh, up there a lot more than what it has been in the past. Like you take the 1999 neighborhood. You might have had four to eight units per acre. Okay. And now you're up to about 14 units per acre.
0: Recently, the city voted on a new plan mm-hmm. for, for housing and densification. Going forward, I think the vote was 12 to 3, and they put forward 80 different recommendations yes. to tackle this housing crisis. What are your thoughts on, on what the city settled on, Shane, and, and which of those recommendations apply
2: specifically to your business? Uh, I could agree for the most part, and uh, the parts that I can't agree on is why in the hell wouldn't you involve the industry right up front? So there was nobody from, no no builders involved at all? The industry was not involved in those discussions right up front, and I think that is the biggest frustration that I have is...
1: Doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
2: That is interesting because they made a they made a big
0: deal about mentioning that there were 160 you know representatives from different communities, different you know interest groups around the city involved mm-hmm. in this process, but nobody from nobody who knows how to build them,
2: nobody who will be building them. Oh boy, seems kind of odd.
1: Mm-hmm. For somebody who is looking to potentially buy a home and is concerned, what would you what advice would you give them on how to keep it relatively affordable, or even just in how to ahead with it.
2: How to go ahead with it I would say if you're if you're qualified for about $500,000 on a mortgage uh, stay around the 425 mark. Give yourself the room just in case uh, because we've seen how interest rates can fluctuate so never put yourself in that position where you know you're you're worried. Yeah. You shouldn't have to stress out about uh, you know about next month's mortgage payment.
0: I, I read an internet comment just recently and take that for what you will an internet comment but mm-hmm. they were talking about the interest rates and the this person mentioned that there if interest rates climb too high it'll hit a point where the builders just don't see the
2: profit in building anymore. Is that is that true? Uh yeah, that can that is a potential issue for yeah. sure. Especially when you look at uh, purpose-built rentals. Uh because uh you know th- th- these are private businesses putting together putting together the uh the project performas for uh for every project that they have out there. And uh, if interest rates are too high, they can't borrow at, uh, at a reasonable rate. And if they don't think that they can push the rents up in the marketplace, then they just stop building. You've been in Calgary your whole life and you've been involved in, in building in Calgary, I think, most
0: of your adult life. Mm-hmm. What is your, your outlook for the city you know are you I'm,
2: optimistic about it? I'm very optimistic about Calgary. I think we're going to continue to grow and i uh, I think a lot of what uh, what we've done here is translated into people wanting to move here and wanting to move into this province in general. I think they see that uh, this is a young city on the grow, and it uh, it has a ton of potential not only for entrepreneurs but for uh, for raising families as well.
1: What do you think is going to be your biggest concern moving forward as a business seeing Calgary grow?
2: Uh, our biggest challenge is to build them. And part of the reason I say that is, you know, we're, uh, you know, we have an aging trade base out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be uh, a very popular thing for uh, for kids to get into the trades many years ago. And we, uh, I think we had the support at the, uh, at the high school level and that's kind of dwindled over the years. So that's a big issue to try and address because with this aging workforce, and we have people who are 71 years old, Working on the job sites, pulling electrical cable, and they want to retire. Yeah, but they can't. So there's still lots of opportunity in the trades for young people. There is amazing opportunity in the trades for young people, especially for businesses that uh, that don't have a succession plan. So young people need to apply. Uh, there's opportunities through SATE, uh, through Nate. There uh, and we. We could honestly do us some help from uh, from provincial and federal when it comes to immigration and bringing in you know skilled trades that way and giving them their certifications in a timely fashion so that they can get to work here.
0: Shane Wenzel is the CEO, President, and the Shane from Shane Homes. Uh, great to meet you, and thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks so much, Shane. The Beckler and Shauna Podcast. Got a couple quick, you can't look cool doings if I could. All right. This one's a little bit controversial, I think, but... I don't think that anyone can make a visor look cool. (laughs) I just, I know, like, for a while, it was briefly trying to come into fashion. There was times where, like, on the runways, they were trying to bring visors back, and they tried real hard, and I'm sorry, but I just don't think the visor can be cool.
0: There were visors everywhere in the late 90s, right? Oh, my God, I just... Frosted tips spiked up through a visor?
1: visor. It's just like...
0: I think it, you can buy that as, like, a
1: Halloween costume now. Oh, my, seriously. <laughs> like, you don't. You just can't. I'm sorry. I just don't think, you can, like, think of Lenny Kravitz in a visor. I, it's not cool, man. No, it's like, not cool. Even if he had
0: big afros sticking out of the top, no. it wouldn't be cool. I'm trying to think if there's, like, an exception to this. The closest I think anybody gets is maybe tennis players.
1: yes. That's the only thing that I could think that maybe could make it passable, but even still. They're not
0: really known for like their coolness, right? mm -mm. Their cool fashion. No. Why do
1: you need the, like, it's just, it's the bald man. Like you got a cul-de-sac going on with your hat. Why do you just wear a full hat? I don't understand. Just wear the hat. You just need your, the back of your head is really hot. You need to (laughs) air it out back there. Like, I don't understand. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, uh, moving on. The next one, driving around with squeaky brakes.
0: Yeah, that's... Oh, man, you're turning heads for the wrong reasons every time you pull up to a stop sign.
1: I know this because I'm doing that right now. And yeah, it sucks hard. because I like my car. I'm a big fan of it. And the brakes just immediately make everyone look around like, what are you doing? Go get those things fixed. <laughs> and I'm waiting because I'm going to get my winter tires put on right away. So I was like, I'll just wait and I'll get the brakes dealt with when I do this all together. But now I purposely don't brake around people because I don't want them to look. <laughs> I'll try to like...
0: A lot of coasting, hey? A
1: lot of coasting. In my parkade, people are, you know, getting their groceries or stuff. And I'm like, I'm just going to try and drive around and not brake here because I don't want people looking like, well, you're the... <laughs> You're the squeaky break lady.
0: Go to the, uh, go to the car wash with a wand wash mm-hmm. and like give her a good wash in like in the brake of the caliper and everything because sometimes there can be like a little pebble caught in there that's causing it so I've, I've... tried that and didn't work
1: no? I think that my brakes need to be ah. yeah so it's getting to that point but it was funny because I remember used to always like pass vehicles with those squeaky brakes and I'm like oh man geez that's annoying it's an like, awful sound that too that so everyone's mix. like oh what is that it's you yeah yuck but think of Lenny in a real nice car and then he pulls up with squeaky brakes immediately not cool
0: the Beckler and Shauna podcast. Etymology with Shauna.
1: What do you got, Shauna? So, Brad asked me to look into the etymology of guilty and guillotine and see if they're related. So, I'm oh. going to uh, because I was like, okay, that's interesting. I'm wondering.
0: So, both have that G U I L at the start, right? Yep.
1: They're not related at all. Uh, so, guilt comes from the old English word gilden, which means to pay for debt which is kind of an interesting way of looking at guilt. I'm like, oh, interesting. So it translated over time from there, but pretty simple. Uh, They're not quite sure of how it translated or like how it got to that point. It's kind of unclear when it comes to guilt. So
0: I wonder what we called it before that, because I mean, guilt is one of the rawest human emotions, isn't it? Yeah. Going back to the time that we developed, you know, consciousness, probably. It's
1: tied into sin. So, mm-hmm. when you look back at the religious relationship, uh, some people are saying, yeah, it kind of went from sin into guilt as well, which you can understand when everybody was religious. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that they're like, I don't really know where it came from after Gildan, but there you go. Uh, when it comes to the guillotine, though, that was a very interesting one. Because at first, the machine was called a Louisette or Louisan after its inventor, which was a French surgeon and physiologist named Antoine Louise. So, we used to call it Louisette. That's what we first started with. But then it was later named after the French physician, Joseph Ignace Guillotine, who requested that France start using the guillotine because it was more humane than what they were currently using, which is crazy to think
0: about as well. Because, I mean. Well, it's so graphic, but I've always thought it's probably a pretty quick way to go, isn't it? That's why they started using it. It probably just lights out. Prior to
1: that, they were using the braking wheel.
0: Oh, yeah, that's nasty. You have read about that before.
1: Yeah. Horrible. And I was reading up a bit about it, looking into this again, and that's just awful. It was essentially a heavy wheel that they would start breaking your bones little by little. It was a torture device. Yeah. So that's how they used to kill convicts, is do that. Slowly break every bone in your body, which is horrible horrifying so it was this guillotine joseph ignace guillotine who requested that france start using something a little more humane and he was like let's use the guillotine this is this is much nicer so it's named after him now so he persuaded louis the 16th of france to use this less painful method so that's where it comes from
0: so you say uh, so it is it is pronounced guillotine right because i've heard guillotine. guillotine i've heard both that's
1: what when i first said it out loud i was like or is it guillotine I actually don't know Do you know the song know. G-
0: Guillotine by Death Grips It's really cool No He says guillotine That's beautiful Maybe
1: it is guill. I know I was like I haven't seen that That word in so long It is guillotine and I'm just saying The French stank on it Guillotine Guillotine
0: it is, is the Sasky pronunciation I Guillotine think,
1: is I think The more common Now I'm oh, I'm in my own head About this Regardless You know right what I'm Talking about here I, oh, I don't know Anyway, uh, this is also crazy because the French underworld called it the widow. That's what they dubbed the guillotine, or the guillotine.
0: As if it guillotine. weren't ominous enough.
1: Yeah, the widow. So we should is give what this thing a scary
0: it. name. Like whoo! Still spicy. I mean, if I had to go. I know. It'd be a pretty good way to go, I Especially,
1: think. Especially, imagine getting introduced to that after the braking wheel. You'd be like, oh, thank the oh, Lord this for is this. Way this better. is great.
0: Etymology with Shauna, the
1: Fengler and Shauna podcast.
0: A Calgary heritage moment.
1: As the roads in Calgary continue to get busier, it's fun to look upon the early days of driving in the city. Going back a hundred years, cars were not yet a big thing in Calgary.
0: It was in 1910 that the Calgary Auto Club formed, which is what we now know as AMA, or the Alberta Motor Association. But despite the club's forming, automobiles still weren't that popular.
1: At the time, the club's main objective was to improve the Trail to Banff. The word trail is key here, as this was not a sound road, but a rough path
0: filled with obstacles. The club used its early dues to try and remove stumps, put up signs, and remove culverts from this so-called highway but it rallied the government to do more. In an early newspaper article, the club said, the object is to put the road into such shape that a lady could take a car from here to Banff and feel safe in doing so. fancy.
1: As vehicles did start to become more common in Calgary, the early ones weren't exactly cheap. In a Calgary Herald listing from 1913, a used truck with a 1,500-pound capacity was listed for $1,200. The equivalent today would be $37,000, and this is when there weren't even any roads to really travel, or those that were, weren't fit for a vehicle.
0: By 1926, the road system had improved, with some roads even listed as highways, but none of these were paved. Although vehicle sales were certainly going up, as that year over 64,000 vehicles were licensed in Alberta.
1: Hilariously, driver's licenses weren't yet a thing, so you could buy a vehicle without a clue on how to operate it. It was June 12, 1929, that the very first driver's license was issued in Alberta, and it was handed to the Premier at the time, John Edward Brownlee.
0: It was described in the newspaper as a neatly gotten up piece of documentation documentary evidence printed on linen and of a size that fits conveniently into a pocketbook the wording on the little document is to the effect that the holder whose signature appears on the dotted line is certified as a person duly licensed to drive or operate a motor vehicle otherwise than a chauffeur upon the highways of the province
1: But even when driver's licenses were introduced, this still didn't mean you needed to take any sort of test. At first, people over a certain age were simply grandfathered in. And if you were younger, you would go down to the DMV, or whatever it was back then, and answer one simple question. Have you driven more than 100 miles? If you responded with a yes, you would be handed a driver's
0: license. When a test did come into effect, it was only a written test, so it didn't actually gauge your driving ability either. And the original cost of a license? Two dollars. 2 bucks for permission to tear up the roads.
1: Since then, driver's tests have obviously become more and more involved, and the punishments for driving recklessly more and more severe. To be fair, vehicles today are far more powerful, too, but it's fun to look back on a time where the roads were essentially a free-for-all.
2: This has been a Calgary Heritage Moment.
0: You've been listening to the Beckler and Shauna Podcast. Brought to you by Shane Holmes, offering affordable customization on your new home.
1: You want more? Then tune in to X Mornings with Beckler and Shauna live on Calgary's Alternative, X929, Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 a.m. Mountain Time at x929.ca. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and have Beckler and Shauna downloaded daily to whatever device
0: you use. Later. Okay.
2: Yeah. After Hours, a weekly
0: podcast that brings X Afternoons with Mariah and Ty to another level of awesome. It allows you to listen on your own terms. Go behind the curtain and hear the stuff you won't hear on the radio. Like, fuck, they're going to say fuck.
1: Find X After Hours wherever you get your podcasts or on the X app.